It has been a long week. And I looked at the worship guide to see what I needed to do. And I didn't look any further. So I knew that I was going to be reading from Psalm 22. And as I was preparing the sermon, I thought, you know what would be great? What would be great? I, I should have told Jeff. But it's too late. But if we read from Isaiah 53, that would be that would be great. And I didn't even think about what New Testament text would be good to read, but I couldn't pick a better one. And um, man, the song that we just sang illustrates one thing that we're going to be talking about today in the message, and that is that sorrows come. But sorrows, trials, afflictions lead to, for the Christian, lead to joy. And we talked about this last week. Suffering endures for the night. Tears endure for the night. Crying endures for the night. But joy comes in the morning. We better get into this. Because I could, I could go on and on. And then we would never get to... 1 Peter chapter 1. If you would turn in your Bibles again to 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to once again read from verse 1. Uh, today we're going to read through verse 12, and we're reading this to get it in our mind. It's We've been reminded of it in Sunday school already this morning. We're, we're reminded of these things, but we should be at this point reading 1 Peter chapter 1, these verses in a different way, we should be reading with more understanding. We should be reading with with a with a fuller appreciation. Uh, we're taking these verses one through twelve together today. They're all under the same heading or under a, a singular theme, if you will. And the theme, I'll go ahead and give it to you before we read. The theme, if we were to put a word over this, it would be salvation. The word salvation. So just thinking as we read through and you'll remember in these few verses, we see God's election unto salvation. We see predestination unto repentant faith. We see God causing new birth. We see salvation's hope in the resurrected Christ. We see salvation's inheritance reserved for those who are saved. In verse 9, we see that the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. And then in verse 10, which will be our focal text 10 through 12 today, Peter picks up again saying, as to this salvation. So the heading over this section, salvation. So we begin reading in verse 1 with this heading in our minds as we read. And remember the focal text for today, verses 10 through 12. First Peter 1 Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ, which is to say repent, and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may result may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. And I'm taking from that last section there the title for my message. Angels long to look. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless your word. That you would bless your word to the saving of souls. And to the sanctifying of your people. God we ask that you'd hide this preacher behind the cross of Christ. That we would hear today the voice of our dear Savior. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. In our focal text today verses 10 through 12. We find here five propositions for our consideration today. These verses, these Three short verses should bring us to a greater appreciation for the Old Testament prophets and for those scriptures that they have handed down to us. We should have a greater confidence in the truth of the gospel and we should have a greater grasp on what it is to be objects of God's grace and covenant members of his kingdom. That's where we're going. That's what we're going to see today. The first proposition we find in verse 10, it is this, that the prophets who prophesied diligently inquired as to the time of the full revelation. Look at the text. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. The prophets, as we notice here at the outset, we find a summary of the Old Testament prophecies, a summary of the Old Testament, if you will. The prophets, it says, prophesied of the grace that would come to you. What were the prophets of the Old Testament talking about? Old Testament prophecies are of grace. The Old Testament is 
of grace. Now, how many of us would have said that if we didn't see this verse? How many of us have heard people say, well, the Old Testament, that's just rules and regulations. The Old Testament is just a set of do's and don'ts. The Old Testament is just there to restrict human behavior. And how many today in churches claiming to be people of the book ignore the Old Testament? Kick it out and say it's not worth anything. Even those of us who love the Old Testament, we might say, and we would say rightly, the Old Testament contains many helps and instructions in morality. How are we to live? Uh, my wife and I were just having a conversation about this this morning, about the Ten Commandments being a way of life for the Christian. And the Old Testament contains so much about morality. But what we learn here in this text is that though the Old Testament contains moral instructions, it is of grace. It's not just a book of laws. There are laws. There are many things in the Old Testament. According to this inspired verse, believers, let us correct our thinking. Let us think differently. Even with all that is found in the Old Testament, its main thing is to prophesy of the grace which has come to us through Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is of grace, and we have here a summary of it in our verse 10. The text says, verse 10, as to this salvation, that's New American Standard, your English Standard says, concerning this salvation, King James, of which salvation, this salvation, this salvation, as to this salvation. Now, some, some nuts have tried to say that this teaches that the Old Testament people were saved under a different gospel. I read that statement to my wife. She said, don't say some nuts have said. <laughs> but it just came out. Here's the deal. I can say some people have said that this teaches that the Old Testament people were saved under a different gospel. But that's, a, that's just a fact. That doesn't tell you how you're supposed to think about it. And I'm trying to tell you how you're supposed to think about it. Those people are nuts. They say that what you see as to this salvation... And it's different from that salvation. The Old Testament believers were saved under the same gospel, under the same truth. But saying this salvation here, it means the plainer and clearer manifestation of the gospel through Christ's coming. So what they knew of the gospel, what they knew of the Messiah to come, what they understood was not what we understand. It was not as full and as clear as we understand today. And that's why it says here of this salvation as to this salvation. Listen to Matthew 13 uh, verse 16 and 17. It speaks of this same thing about those Old Testament saints and what they did not understand. Uh, it says this blessed Oh, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see. And they have not seen them. 
And to hear those things which you hear and they have not heard them. See, they desired to see. And the New Testament gives us this clearer and plainer manifestation of the gospel. It's not a different gospel. It's not a different salvation. But it is clearer and plainer. And we learn in this that the prophets of old, their knowledge was limited. Now that is not to say that their faith was limited. They believed fully in the promise that was revealed partially. They revealed fully in the promise that they understood only in portion. But their faith was, was full. It is interesting to see this in case study when we consider Simeon. Simeon was the man who had lived before Christ had come. And then he held the baby Jesus in the temple. And, and by his own testimony, before Christ came, he was unsatisfied, anxiously searching for the Messiah. And after he held the baby Jesus, he was satisfied. His life was fulfilled and he said, I am now ready to die. A fulfilled life. It, it changes things. We also note not only that they were seeking something, but what they were seeking. Verse 11 tells us they were seeking to know what person or what time. The prophets were seeking to know what person or what time. Uh, John Calvin explains that they inquired for this reason. He says it was not proper while Christ, the son of righteousness. Now I'm going to read that again. Son here is S-U-N. The son that shines. The son of righteousness. It was not proper while Christ, the son of righteousness, was absent for the light to shine fully as it would at midday. They had a, if you will, a, a sunrise enlightenment. <laughs> and we have a midday enlightenment. We, we see in the full Broad sun, the day. It's important that we understand that the prophet's inquiry was a desire that God's redemption would come quickly. They desired to see it and to see it come quickly. But that does not mean that they were discontent to live in their own time. We have no indication that they were. They were content to live in their own time, but wanted to see the redemption of God come in its fullness and come quickly. And they searched, the scripture tells us, they searched with inquiries. But these searches, this searching, it does not mean that they were guessing at when the Messiah would come. Isn't that annoying to see people today guessing at when he'll come again? They were not guessing. They were not predicting when he would come. Their searching for the time that the Messiah would come is more like this. Is now the time? Is now the time? Is it today? And Christians, we should have some element of this for his second coming. Is now the time? Is it now? Is today the day? We should be looking. We should be expecting. And we'll see in just a moment in the words of Gil that they searched through the proper use of means. They didn't just, it, it wasn't just navel-gazing. They searched through the word and through prayer. Secondly, in this searching, we see here a high commendation of salvation. A high commendation of salvation. 
Think of all the things that could have occupied the time, the energy, the efforts of the prophets of old. All the things they could have put their time and efforts into. They focused their minds on the salvation which would come through the Messiah, who we know to be Jesus Christ. This is a testament to the greatness of the salvation plan of God. The spirit of inquiry of the prophets was sparked by the particular excellence of this salvation. Gill points out that the prophets inquired by means. This was not navel gazing, as I said. They employed prayer and supplication with the use of the word. Observing the types and shadows that they were living in that day, the sacrificial system, observing those things, they looked for the Messiah and waited on the timing of the Lord. Secondly, from verse 11, the spirit of Christ predicts that the future of the kingdom of God would be that Christ and his church would, through various sufferings, enter into glory. Now I got to tell you, when we talk about suffering for the Christian and we just say, well, suffering is just a part of the Christian life and we end it there, we are really burying the lead, folks. Suffering is part of the Christian life that leads to glory. Suffering is part of the Christian life that leads to victory. And we need to keep that in mind. Verse 11, seeking to know what person or what time the spirit of Christ was within them, indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Here we point out that these sufferings and glory are not limited to the person of Jesus Christ, but they include and are extended to the church. What is true for the head, Jesus Christ, is true for the body, the church. What we see in Christ pictures and foreshadows for us what will come to his people. Sufferings then glory. Affliction, then exaltation. The order of this is also important. Sufferings is mentioned first, then glory. How many of you want glory now? We'll put the suffering off as long as possible. Well, the order here is God ordained. Suffering, then glory. Glory follows. And the order cannot be reversed and it cannot be destroyed. We cannot separate these. Afflictions pro, uh, precede glory. Afflictions precede glory. Christians must suffer many troubles, then enter glory. The connection and the order of suffering, then glory, is God-ordained. It is a God-ordained relationship. And we are unwise when we try to change it or when we try to disconnect them. We also must understand that afflictions and troubles are not evil. That's news to some of us. Afflictions and troubles are part of this life and they are not evil because they are attached, they are annexed to glory, to blessing. Afflictions are not evil. 
The pain of a surgery is not evil because it leads to healing and wellness. Afflictions and troubles are not evil because glory is attached. Calvin said this, There is no reason why afflictions should depress us above measure as though we were miserable under them since the Spirit of God has pronounced us blessed. The cross is the doorway to victory. Afflictions, then glory. The third proposition we find in verse 12. The prophet's ministry is more abundantly beneficial to us in our time than it was to them in their own age. And they knew this by revelation. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. Now this marks God's goodness to us. God is good and God is good to all. But can we just say for a moment how good it is to live now on this side of the empty tomb? This marks God's goodness to us. We know more than the prophets. So you think about those heroes of the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Solomon. This morning we read a song of David. We read from the prophet Isaiah. What a, what a list of men. And then there's us, you and I. And we have a better and clearer understanding of the gospel than they did. Now let me tell you something that scares me here. Do we have a better understanding of the gospel? We have a clearer and fuller revelation. And if we don't have a better understanding of the gospel of God, it is for neglect of the word and laziness. It scares me to think that the Bible teaches us to whom much is given, much is required. And beloved, we have been given more than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Solomon, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah. We have been given more. Calvin points out about these prophets that they had a private desire to search the scripture, to know these things that went beyond or went further than their public office as prophets. They had a long and anxious inquiry which should set us for the priority and importance of the study and the knowledge of salvation. He said this, we see how highly they extolled the kingdom of Christ, how tirelessly they were in adorning it, how diligently they stimulated all to seek it, but they were by death deprived the privilege of seeing it as it is now. They spread the table that others may feed on the bounty. What a blessing. We are blessed with everything that they had knowledge of, plus their efforts in their ministry. And then further, the New Testament. Until Christ's coming, 
the details of God's plan of salvation were obscured since His coming. And since we have the complete New Testament, we have the full revelation. It, it irks me that people with bad doctrine call their church full gospel. Because, brothers and sisters, we are a full gospel church. We got the whole thing. We are also taught in their searching and in their writing and prophesying the certainty of salvation. Salvation, God's, God's saving plan was not an afterthought. It wasn't an add-on. A plan for God to save a people was from eternity past and was testified by the Spirit of God through the Old Testament prophets all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to the very beginning, all the way through. The gospel is there, obscured, seen darkly, but the gospel is not a novelty. There is nothing new here in this. And we see that we have been given more than our ancient fathers. And this amplifies the grace of God toward us. Their ministry was of use to them. When it says that they knew by revelation that they were serving not themselves but us. It doesn't mean that they served themselves not at all. They were certainly served. But we find more use, more benefit in their work. In the fourth place, the gospel is a confirmation of Old Testament prophecy. It is that. The gospel is a confirmation of Old Testament prophecy. But more than that, the gospel is fuller and clearer revelation. Fuller and clearer revelation. They saw from a distance. We see before our very eyes. The gospel ministry of the Old Testament is manifested it is it is shown forth in the person and work of Jesus Christ verse 12 says these things these things what does it mean by these things these things is the fullness of the gospel and is pro, as it is proclaimed in the new testament the birth the life the death and the resurrection of Jesus as it is proclaimed through the preaching of the gospel and by the Holy Spirit from heaven. And we have here also another reminder that the gospel is to be trusted. The salvation plan of God was prophesied from times of old. And now that it has come, it is exactly as it was prophesied. It is exactly as it was foretold. Therefore, it is to be believed. Fifthly, and finally, we see in verse 12 that the glory of the gospel is revealed. And we have here revelation of the glory of the gospel in two ways. One we've really already covered, so I just want to mention it. The glory of the gospel is revealed in the Old Testament prophets' inquiry. The glories of the gospel are so great that these wise men searched diligently for the truth of the gospel that was available to them. And we see the glory of the gospel in that. But we also see here the glory of the gospel revealed in the angels' 
desire to look. In the angel's desire to know. Think about this. Angels. Angels. Sinless. Angels. Angels who minister in the presence of God continually. Angels. Desire to know what you know. This is, this is the highest praise to the gospel. That this treasured wisdom that is concealed even to angels is revealed to you and me. Now, as it says here that the angels desire to look, that the angels desire to know, this does not mean that the angels don't know anything of the gospel. They know the facts of the gospel. The, the Bible is very clear over and over that the angels know. Uh, think about the angels announced the birth of Christ. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. They knew the facts of the gospel. But, but there's a difference in what they know and what we know. Our knowledge is not higher than theirs. But we are participants, brothers and sisters. They know about grace. We are the objects of grace. They understand the covenant and could lay it out probably better than we could. But we are covenant children. Angels know facts. Angels see. But we experience. We receive Christ. We participate. This phrase, the angels desire to look, the angels desire to see. It could be taken in two ways. It could mean that the angels desire to know. And, and by the way, I think both are true. That the angels desire to know experientially, but also that the angels desire to see the fulfillment of God's salvation. The angels rejoice when a sinner comes to faith in Christ. The angels desire to see the fulfillment of God's salvation. So while we're here in this text and we're speaking about angels, we need to see something else. This is, this is going to be very profound. We are not angels. There it is. We are not angels. And, and doesn't that seem silly to even say that? But, but often we hear people say things, especially when they have experienced the loss of a loved one or the loss of a family member. They say that their departed friend or family member is now one of God's angels. Maybe you've heard people say that. Maybe you have said that, but we need to be corrected. We are not angels. And we learn in this text that the angels don't have the experience of being saved by the grace of God. So Christians never become angels. Neither do lost people, but men and women never become angels. If God's people became angels, this little phrase couldn't be in the scripture. And it is here. So we know we are not 
and will never be angels. Don't feel bad about that. This is of great importance. It's better to be an object of God's grace than to be an angel. Don't ever let someone speak of a redeemed, elect saint of God in such a low way as to call them an angel. We should never exchange the benefit of being saved the redeemed, the beloved of God, adopted children, heirs, and joint heirs with Christ. Who would trade that for just being an angel? Let us never speak that way. And when people speak that way, lovingly and gently help them to see that we don't want to be angels. We want to be the redeemed of God. Those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ are more blessed than angels. Those who die without Christ are not blessed. And beloved, if you are here and you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, then here today in these verses of scripture, the high commendation of salvation You should believe the gospel and receive Jesus Christ. The scripture commands that you repent and believe. The grace of God testified of in the Old Testament by the prophets has now been revealed in its fullness through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has been proclaimed to you by the preaching of Scripture. And this grace freely offered, not to angels, but freely offered to every person who will come to Jesus humbly repenting of their sin and believe in his life and death as payment for sin, as righteousness, and receiving forgiveness of sin. This gospel is to be believed. I've written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a revelation. The things that were concealed, the things that were hidden have been revealed Gradually, progressively, and we see that throughout the Old Testament, and now we New Testament saints have the full revelation of your gospel through Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection. We thank you that we have what the angels could only wish for. God, we pray that by your goodness. You would sanctify us. That you would draw sinners to repentance. We pray this in Christ's name.